reading for tonight's message is 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read verses 6 through 11. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. The Bible says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. You see it blasted out anytime you go into your uh, local gym, anytime you are seeing the, uh, the advertisements for fitness centers or for uh, certain exercise products. It's all over our consumer advertising. We are told exactly what the ideal human body looks like. If you are a man, if you are a woman, of course, there has been some Uh, pressure from certain sectors to broaden the scope of what our advertising says. But I'll tell you, you can go into uh, uh, any local gym and all of the pictures are there to say this is what you should aspire to. And in that sense, our culture is not all that much different from the ancient Greek culture. The ancient Greek culture was obsessed with physical fitness, with physical beauty. Beauty was the consummate ethos of the ancient Greek culture. I'm thinking of even before the time of Christ. And even at the time this was written in uh, first century AD, uh, the Romans still prized physical fitness. They were a warrior people. The, the Roman Empire was being sent out uh, to, the, uh, to the ends of the earth. It was a dominant empire. And young men, in particular, were held to a high standard of physical fitness. In fact, one of the prominent centers of attention in in cities around this day was a gymnasium. It was was from the Greek word by which we would get gymnasium now. And in fact, uh, if you were to look at where Timothy was in this time. He was at Ephesus. Paul is writing to Timothy at Ephesus. And if you go to to the archaeology of ancient Ephesus, you would see magnificent gymnasia that have been uncovered. Uh, There is, in fact, physical exercise, physical fitness, uh, a very central part of not every ancient culture, but certainly of the ancient Greek culture, and in certain pockets of the ancient Roman culture as well. So we're not all that different from those who have come before, though perhaps it is a little bit more of big business than it has ever been. I read this uh, online. The consumer demand for health and wellness products and services has reached a record high with the global wellness market estimated to be worth, guess how much? 3.4 trillion. $3.4 trillion in the global wellness market, making it three times larger than the $1 trillion worldwide pharmaceutical industry. Wellness larger than the pharmaceutical industry. Under that massive umbrella, there's been a 108% increase in the healthy eating and nutrition market to $276.5 billion, and a 78% increase in personalized health to $243 billion, proof that Americans are willing to spend more when it comes to their health. This is massive business, and, and it is great marketing, in a sense, to have pictures of what people who are fit look like for people to aspire to. But see, this has 
and I think I'm not the only one certainly who has noticed, this can have a very dangerous effect on our, uh, on our uh, spiritual health in perhaps one of two ways. One way is for us to buy into this mentality of this is what an ideal body looks like and devote ourselves to meeting that ideal. Of course, the other side is simply to say, I can never get to that ideal. I'm not at that stage of life. I am not at that, I'm not that time where I can dev devote to that. I simply can't, and so I will simply give up on any level of physical fitness or of bodily exercise or the like. It can be a very dangerous thing for us. And that's why one of you asked, and I'm excited to dive in a little bit tonight, is what is a biblical worldview when it comes to our physical bodies and how we take care of them, our physical fitness? We see every year gyms get crowded in January. Why? Because all of us, it seems, make physical resolutions, uh, New Year's resolutions about fitness. They last for some of us a week or two weeks, maybe a month or two months, and gym memberships tend to decline. And then back in January, it's right back up again. I know because uh, I represent some clients in the physical fitness industry, and their numbers simply confirm it. And the passage that uh, came to mind and that I want to study tonight together is perhaps the most well-known one in all of Scripture when it comes to our physical fitness. We see here it, Paul is talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And again, if we're going to place this in context as we always want to, Paul is encouraging Timothy on what it means to be a good minister. In essence, this sermon is really to me more than it is to you, but you can go ahead and say amen along with it. And also, I do note that at the end, Paul says, these things command and teach. So I got to preach it to myself first, and then I get to command and teach it to you. Notice what he says in verse 6. He said, if, Timothy, you put the brethren in remembrance, if you remind them of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now notice what has come immediately before it. Paul says that in chapter 4 and verse 1, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, what is that? Where we are right now. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And what is the characteristic of their teaching? Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. What a wonderful passage to enjoy over a steak dinner. I have to say, this is truly a wonderful blessing. But no, in all seriousness, notice what he's saying. He's saying that there will come in the last days those who distort the truth by what we'd call ascetism, by an ascetic impulse that would say, Avoid these things that would be toward your bodily pleasure. Forbid to marry, so avoid sexual intimacy. Do not eat meat. Do not eat delicious food. You will restrict yourself. And Paul says, no, 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 wait a second. This will actually be a characteristic of those who are departing from the faith. They are placing their teaching in these points. He corrects that by saying every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused. We don't go by the Old Testament uh, um, dietary restrictions. He says every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. And here, of course, is why we pray before we eat, why this is a common practice of God's people to reflect that our eating is with thanksgiving and it is an act of worship. He says, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And now he says, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, I'm giving you a balance on what worship looks like for your entire life, not just when you're at uh, church, but also for your marriage bed, but also for your dining room table, but also for every aspect of your daily life. Now notice what he says in verse 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. 
For bodily exercise profiteth little. Now this translation is a little bit challenging because I don't think it's exactly what we hear in our modern ears. He's not disparaging bodily exercise. Ah, that just doesn't even matter at all. He's saying bodily exercise profits a little. Or you might say for some part. He is actually recognizing that bodily exercise has some profit. But he contrasts that by saying, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Bodily exercise is profitable to some things, to a little. But godliness is profitable to all things, to everything. Why? Because it has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And to nail this home, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. If we're going to have a biblical uh, worldview of what the place of bodily exercise is for the Christian, we're going to have to understand this passage. And we'll do it tonight, God willing, in a message I'm going to entitle, Exercise Yourself to Godliness. Exercise Yourself to Godliness. First, what I want to look at here is a spiritual practice. A spiritual practice. Notice what he says again in verse 7. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, notice what he is saying that commanding that Timothy should avoid. In context, he's here he's saying refuse and literally reject. Turn away from entirely. Don't give a moment's place to profane and old Wives' fables. Now, we might scratch your heads. What on earth is that? Well, we don't know exactly. Timothy would have had a good idea. The idea of the word profane here has the idea of being accessible, being common, but a common in a secular way, not a God-focused way, not like in accessibility in that God's word is accessible. As the old divines used to say, even a plowman can understand the basic truths of the word of God. It's not that. He's talking about a kind of godless, common talk. Frivolous, profane, empty, secular kind of speech. And he says, profane and old wives' fables. Now, you've heard of old wives' tales. There's kind of an idea of this here. It's been said that there was a a kind of philosophical way of of ridiculing bad arguments by saying that's old women's talk. And and the picture, right, is is of of people, not to disparage, of course, old women, but this this idea of like these people who who have all the time in the world on their hands and they just sit around and chatter nothingness. I almost think of it, and again, I'm sorry if, 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 if this is, describes anyone you love, but kind of like sitting around playing bridge and just gossiping, talking about nonsense, frivolity, secular kind of just drivel. And, and what Timothy is saying is, uh, Paul is saying is, Timothy, you have no time for that. You have no time for this kind of just empty speculation, this empty drivel. Friends, I need to say from my own life, and as, a, as, a, as an encouragement to me, that that, that says so much about our political speech today. And there is so much of that that just can rile us up and get us mad and get us frustrated. And I think God would say to some of us, you know, you just got to turn away from a lot of it. You just got to turn it off. Get, get off of Twitter. Don't follow people on Twitter who just rile you up with this empty, godless talk that just gets you mad and stirred up. There's all kinds of categories of talk that we could place here in this bucket. A lot of what you hear in sports talk on the radio. A lot of what you hear all over the place. And we could categorize this as Paul saying, Timothy, you want to watch your own heart? You got to turn off this radio station. You got to turn away from this. But notice his contrast. So you reject, you turn away from this mindless and secular drivel, and you exercise yourself, rather, to godliness. Now, you need to understand this word, exercise. It is, again, the Greek underlying word that we get, gymnastics or gymnasium. He is literally saying, gymnasticize yourself to godliness. Now, do you know what the word gymnastics actually literally means in the Greek? This idea of a gymnasium. It literally means to exercise naked. It has the idea of nakedness. Because in that day and age, what do you think the young men would exercise? They would come down and they would strip down completely and they would exercise in this gymnasium naked. 
And so that's literally the meaning of the word that is used here, and it's used at other places. In Hebrews chapter 5, you remember the author of Hebrews is coming to these Hebrew believers, and he's saying, you are, mature, you are at the stage you should be teachers, but you need to be taught again the first principles. You don't need meat, you need milk, and he's criticizing them. And he says this, Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, that are fully mature. The, the real teaching, the deep teaching of God's word is to those who are of full age, fully mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, same word, to discern both good and evil. And the picture again is there are people who have trained themselves like the highest class Olympic athletes in a gym to discern between what's good and, good and, and evil. Why? Because their senses have been exercised by reason of use. They've used them over and over again to be discerning. And, and the author of Hebrews is saying that's a good thing. We should exercise ourselves in that area of discernment between good and evil. And here he has a similar idea. Again, think of this picture. There's at least two pictures here. There's one picture of no encumbrance. Just like you see people today who want to exercise in physical fitness or athletes. They, the track athletes have the suit that will have as little air resistance as possible, as skin, as snug to the skin as possible so they can run as quickly as they can. The idea of this ancient gymnasium of a young man coming in and shedding his clothes to be completely unhindered in his exercise. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, you do the same thing in your spiritual life. What needs to be removed? What hindrance, what encumbrance do you have in the pursuit of your godliness? So there's the idea of a lack of hindrance, but also there's the, there's the idea clearly of, of effort, of strenuous labor. Now, this has always been a tension for people of God. They say, on the one hand, I thought that without Christ I could do nothing and that it is only by his power. And the answer to that, is, of course, is absolutely and then there are other people that say, no, it's, it's really by this effort that you need to put out. And these things too seem to be in tension with one another. And in reality, they're not. Because as Paul says elsewhere, he says he strives mightily according to the working of him who works all in all. Jesus is the one who provides all the power, who provides all the energy. We are to provide all the focus of our mind and of our disciplined uh, 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 perspective on what God wants us to do. It takes work. And clearly this is what Paul is emphasizing here and in other places when he emphasizes the relentless discipline of the Christian life that is like a soldier. We remove what hinders us. We press on in a race. As Paul says, I pressed for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we bring these two things together to recognize that what we are to embrace in our Christian lives is a form of training not unlike an Olympic athlete. Do you want to be godly? Then what are you doing to pursue it? Do you want to be like Christ? then what are you throwing off in your entertainments that is holding you back? Do you want to be like Christ? Then what time is your alarm going off in the morning? What time are you going to bed at night? What are you reading before you go to bed? What kinds of, of, of frivolous hobbies you say, I, I can't invest like I did before in that? It is a kind of training process. You know, it's remarkable today the level to which high-caliber athletes will go to train themselves even to the smallest deficiencies. With film and, and, and very slow motion film now, whether it's a golfer who's literally looking at every single millimeter of his swing to say, where is one tweak that I can make to help me hit the ball farther? Whether that is an Olympic sprinter who, who, who literally studies out of the box with things even like pressure, where am I putting the pressure on my feet? How much force am I applying to the ground? How much more force can I apply? They are treating it not just like, like athletes, but like students. Where do I get the smallest advantage to be the best that I can be in the entire world? Paul, in a sense, is saying to Timothy, you and us, 
should exercise that same relentless passion and drive toward your spiritual lives in godliness. And I say this to us because there are some of us, and for those who have trained themselves in an athletic field, or those who have given themselves even to physical exercise right now, you can see ways in which you have trained yourself for physical fitness. And maybe God will allow you to begin applying some of those same kinds of intensity and those same kinds of training to your spiritual life. So Paul here is saying to Timothy, you exercise, you gymnasticize yourself to godliness. And then notice what he says by way of explanation in verse 8. For bodily exercise profits little or a little or to some extent. So look secondly here at what I'm going to call bodily profit, a spiritual practice, and we're going to see a bodily profit. Now, we need to pause for just a moment here because there is some disagreement about what Paul means when he says bodily exercise. Is he talking about what we think of, exercising our bodies, physical fitness? Or is he talking about a kind of approach to that ascetic function? I'm going to discipline myself spiritually. I'm going to fast. I'm going to avoid these kind of things. I'm going to implement these kinds of physical practices to, in a sense, hold under my body. And people take different approaches to that. Let me just give you my sense. I don't know that Paul would say those ascetic practices, just relentlessly manipulating your body by things like crawling upstairs or fasting for weeks on end or those things. I, I, I don't get the sense that Paul would say those things have a little profit. I read in, in Colossians chapter 2, for example, where Paul says, if we've been saved by grace, why is it that we're subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not? He says those things don't do to actually regulate your body, regulate your flesh. They may puff up your pride. In fact, even what he says here at the beginning of chapter 4, I just doubt a little bit that what he's saying primarily there is in the realm of spiritually, spiritual practices that deprive your body. I think when he uses that word, gymnasticize yourself, exercise yourself to, to godliness, I think he goes exactly to where Timothy's mind would have gone, probably that gym, gymnasium right in Ephesus. And I think that is what has led him now to this analogy, to this context. I'm telling you to exercise yourself like an Olympic athlete for godliness. And I'm going to contrast now that kind of physical bodily exercise that I've just created a picture in your mind of. And I'm going to contrast that to an exercise to godliness. So again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. If people have disagreed about that, I think that is the most likely context here. Now, it is an absolutely true statement, friends, that bodily exercise profits to some extent. We can look around our world and at the world that God has revealed to us and see that it does. It does profit to some extent. Our physical exercise helps us avoid disease. If you exercise regularly, you are at a statistically significantly lower risk of cardiovascular disease you are at a significantly lower uh, risk of type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome. You are at a lower risk of cancers. This is from the CDC, which tells us that, that this regular exercise gives us a lower risk of bladder cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, stomach cancer, kidney cancer, and other forms of cancer. The CDC says, says this, I quote, people who are physically active for about 150 minutes a week have a 33% lower risk of all-cause mortality than those who are physically inactive. 33% lower risk of all-cause physical mortality at 150 minutes a week. It is absolutely inarguable that physical exercise benefits your body. But not only that, it, it benefits your mind. We also know, just scientifically, that physical exercise helps people cope with stress. It helps people, uh, uh, in a sense, clear your head. I, I think of this, there are times when uh, I'll take Lars out or I'll go by myself and I'll go to the golf course. And I find that just walking and just thinking and allowing my mind just to, in, in a sense, uh, be liberated from what I've been thinking about or stressing about to that point can really help me and increase 
my productivity. Remember in Jim Berg's wonderful series, Quieting a Noisy Soul, he analogized our physical body to like a beam. Do you remember that picture that he put up on, that, on, on, on the slide? A beam that supports our souls. You say, how is that the case? Well, because if you're not sleeping enough at night, you're probably more likely to be tempted to be crabby the next day and irritated. If you are not getting enough physical exercise, you are tempting yourself to give in to stress, to give in to discouragement, to give in to despair. Does that cause you to fall into sin? No. Does it increase your temptation? And he gave the idea that where there's not this kind of beam that's supporting our souls, we can sag and we can allow, we can have practice of thoughts that are not leading us toward godliness, but instead pushing away from it. And so we can see even just in the way that God made our bodies, when we are caring for them, including through regular sleep and including through our physical fitness and physical exercise, that we can be supporting ourselves from these very temptations. I remember talking to a friend once, and he was just really wrapped around the axle with these periods of thinking that would just debilitate him. And it seemed as if that there was just a product of just this, this compulsive mind. And I said, I remember saying to this brother, have you ever thought about when you're in this period of just completely wrapped around the axle of just going out for a run? Just going out and, and just in a sense having some physical exercise to clear your head and continue on? And I think for some people, there is absolutely that aspect of, of simply what God has given us uh, for our own benefit that can really help in even our spiritual lives. And the truth is that God made it this way. It's absolutely true. When we are regularly physically exercising, our body is producing endorphins. Endorphins. You've heard of someone speak of a runner's high the kind of feeling of almost exuberance they get when they are finishing a physical exercise, that is not an accident. God made your body like that to experience these endorphins to say this is something good. Now, I'll tell you, I don't run for long enough to get that, whatever that is. I don't know that I've ever had a runner's high. I get back and I want to collapse on the couch and not move for two hours. So I'll just have to take your word for it. But no, in all seriousness, probably most of us have experienced at some level or another a kind of physical exercise that we come back and we say, wow, I feel good. I feel good. Now, let me ask you this. Why did God make us that way? Why did God make us to do something like this that is pleasurable, that in, it enables us to be healthier in body and in mind, that can encourage and support, indeed, our spiritual pursuit of godliness? God made it this way. And we can say amen to the Apostle Paul when he says bodily exercise profits a little to some extent. But this is where we need to come into what Paul's thinking is here. Because not only do we have a spiritual practice, not only do we have a bodily or a physical prophet, we see here a Christian's priority. Notice what he says. Bodily exercise profits a little, but he wants to contrast that. But godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. What is his logic here? He's saying bodily exercise profits a little, but only a little. Why? Because it only relates to the time that now is. It only relates to your life here today in the moment. Can it make you healthier? Yes, for some time. Can it make you happier? Yes, for some time. But it does not in and of itself speak to what godliness is, which, as he says, having promise of the life that now is, just like bodily exercise does, and of that which is to come for eternity. That is the blessing of godliness in light of one who will judge all of us according to our works. 
And so again, notice the contrast. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to exercise, gymnasticize yourself in godliness. He comes to this picture of physical exercise and he says that kind of exercise is good for a time. It is good in a sense. There's profit to it for right now. But godliness is essential. Godliness is that which has profit for eternity. Now we need to understand this word godliness. This word godliness, what does he mean when he says exercise yourself to godliness and contrast it to exercise yourself to physical fitness? Do you know this book is, 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 along with 2 Peter, the fundamental, the basic book in which this word is used the most? Paul has this idea of godliness on his mind in this book. Turn back for a moment to 1 Timothy 2. Let's use 1 Timothy to teach us what godliness actually is. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now what's he commanding? He's commanding a spiritual discipline for us to practice. For kings and for all that are in authority. He says, I want you praying for your leaders. Why? Notice what the, what, the, what, the, what the goal of the prayer is. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, same word, and honesty. Now, what's your picture of a Christian who is living a life in godliness and honesty and sincerity? He's referring to a lifestyle, a character of piety and of godlikeness that stretches across your entire life. You look at someone, that's a godly person. What are you saying about them? Their life, their character, their example manifests the character of God. They are like him. They are God-like. So again, this is a picture right here. Turn over to 1 Timothy 3, one chapter, and look at verse 16. Paul says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Same word. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So 1 Timothy 2 is focusing on a lifestyle, right? A character. 1 Timothy 3 is focusing on a doctrine. Here's the truth of the godliness of the faith that we live out. And now turn to 1 Timothy 6, in which Paul marries these two things together. Our doctrine... And our practice, 1 Timothy 6, and notice in verse number 3, Paul says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Same word. What's the picture? There is a teaching that promotes godliness. That promotes, there's a doctrine that promotes you becoming more like Jesus Christ and reflecting it in your character and in your way of life. So if we were to summarize all of this in what Paul seems to have in mind when he says, you exercise yourself to godliness is a way of life that is like God, that reflects his character across the entire stage of your life. Not just when you're at church, but in every aspect of your life, in your home, in your work, in your car, in your school, and yes, in your church. So what does that mean then when Paul says bodily exercise is a little profit, but God-likeness, godliness, this kind of character of life is your priority in everything? Let me ask this question. Does that mean that we simply don't care about our bodies? that we do not care about physical fitness. Because that is only a little profit, but godliness is what we are to pursue and prioritize above all things. I don't think so. I don't think so because it is not a biblical theology of your body and my body. And I want us to point out just one verse that I hope will be helpful to developing the way you think about your body. And lay the groundwork for what we conclude here. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. This is again Paul's letter. And look with me at at chapter number 6. Again, I want you to turn here because I think there's something valuable for God's people when they read it themselves. 
It's one thing for us to hear something and write it down. It's another thing for us to read it ourselves and maybe mark it in our Bibles. I just want to encourage you to have your Bibles and actually take a look at this with me. In chapter 6 here in verse 12, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about their abuses of what they see as their liberty in Christ. And notice what he says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats. The Corinthians seem to simply be saying, meat is just an element of my bodily process. The belly is made for meats. Meats are for the belly. I can eat whatever I want. And you can imagine then what they were saying about sexual intimacy. Sex is just a part of my daily living. It's just a part of my life. It's disconnected from me. That's just my body. And Paul says, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. Notice what he says. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Now, are you with me so far? The body's for the Lord. Why is the body for the Lord? Because he'll say later in verse 20, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. The body is for the Lord because God bought your body when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. But then notice what comes next. We don't often focus on this. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now listen, let that sink in. The body is for the Lord. But will you say amen to the Lord is for the body? Do you know God is for your body? He's for your body in the sense that he ministers to your body. He's for your body in that it's his body. And he has promised to redeem it eternally one day by giving you a new resurrected body that will be perfectly in his intent for mankind. Why did God give you endorphins? Because he's for, your, for the body. The Lord is for the body. Why does God give us meat to enjoy? Because he's for the body. It's his body. And we glorify God in our body when we worship him through it. So what does it mean then to say that in this context, God is for the body in the context of our physical exercise? I want to encourage you to think a little bit differently than how I have seen some people approach this subject. They have, I, I've seen very, very sincere and good Bible teachers approach this passage like this. Paul is not criticizing physical exercise. He's saying there is a place for it, but just make sure you are devoting yourself to godliness too. There is a truth to that. But friends, I want to I challenge you tonight to look at it a little differently than that. I don't want to, you to see your physical exercises just being something over here that you give a little bit to as long as you remember to give a little bit more to God on your investment of time this week. I want you to think of a God who is for your body from A to Z. I want you to think of a God who is for your body when you are physically exercising and when you are not. I want you to think of a God who is for your body and just as importantly, who your body is for, that you will worship God through your physical exercise. What would it look like to glorify God with your physical exercise? What would it look like to glorify God by your physical fitness? What would it look like to worship God when you're lifting weights at your gym or when you're out for a run. Again, if the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord, look at what Paul says again. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Make this analogy to meat. Paul is saying there are going to be people who come to you and they lie and they say, don't eat meat. It's not for you. Punish yourself. Don't enjoy delicious food. And Paul says that's nonsense. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be, received, to be refused. He says God hath created these animals to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. What does faith do to the way you eat delicious meals? It should do this. God, thank you. This is my worship to you. 
because I receive it with thanksgiving. What should your perspective be when you get off a run and you're feeling a runner's high of endorphins? It should be, I receive it with thanksgiving because God created me like this. You see? And this is true of anything that we can say where God is for the body. Our sexual intimacy can be an act of worship when it is received with thanksgiving. Our physical exercise, our food, our sleep, anything that God has made to be good for your body when you are doing it according to his will can be an act of worship when you glorify him gratefully for what he has given you. Now, here's my question then. If Paul is not intending to say a little physical exercise is good, just make sure that you're pursuing godliness. What I'm suggesting to you, he is saying, and we should be thinking about, is there is a godliness that is centered around our prior, that is our priority, that is our focus, that allows us to place physical exercise as an act of worship, as, if you will, an outflow of godliness and an encouragement to it. What does godliness say about physical exercise? And this is where I want to get really practical. What does godliness say about physical exercise when you know that your body is for the Lord and the Lord is for your body? If your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it does this, first of all. It removes worldly reasons for it. We go to the gym, we see people who have a physical fitness that is above our own, who have bodies, and we say, I want to look like that. And immediately we've removed ourselves from the area of godliness. Because we have to just simply acknowledge that so much of physical fitness, of our culture of physical fitness, is vanity. It's pride. Here's how strong I am. Here's how powerful I am. Here's how attractive I am to the opposite sex. Here is how fit I am. Here is how good my body looks in the mirror. And simply put, friends, godliness precludes a focus on myself. Godliness precludes me from saying, I am doing this kind of exercise so that I can be more attractive, so that I can attract more interest from the opposite sex, so that I can feel better about how strong I am or how competent I am. That's vanity. And godliness says, no, no. That's not why I'm exercising. That's not why God gave me this body. God gave me this body to glorify him, not glorify myself. It removes pride. It removes vanity when I'm truly exercising myself toward godliness. No longer do I need to look at physical fitness as something of just, oh, this is something that I do along the side. No, start looking at your physical fitness as an encouragement to godliness. Not only does I think it remove or pr protect us from these worldly and fleshly uh, 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 reasons for physical fitness, it also counteracts my focus on it excessively. Those people who testify and claim the name of Christ and yet spend hours at the gym and minutes, if at all, in their Bibles. Here's the challenge, I think, for us. We lie to ourselves so well. We deceive ourselves so well. We say, no, it's not about vanity for me. It's not about pride for me. It's just about how it makes me feel. And then the priority of godliness comes in front of us and says, are you looking like Jesus Christ? How's your character doing? And our lies are removed, our, 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 um, our deceptions, our reasonings are cast down. And we say, no, my motivations actually aren't godliness. They're self-focus. They are. And I think if we are those who find a really hard time getting in God's word, but a really easy time sculpting our bodies to look exactly the way we want them to or pursuing weight loss goals or other things above all else, we should ask ourselves, where's my priority? Is my priority truly on godliness? Or do I need to hear the message of Paul that says, yeah, bodily exercise on its own has some value, but godliness has every value. 
So not only does godliness, what godliness protects us against in the excesses or the wrong motives or focuses behind this physical fitness, it also, I think, encourages us on what a godly thought pattern looks like when it comes to physical fitness. Do you remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 when he likens his own pursuit of godliness to an Olympic athlete who is absolutely relentless at watching himself? He uses this phrase, I keep under my body, my body, and bring it into subjection under me. Why does he do that to his body? Because he says, lest when I have preached to others, I might be a castaway. What is Paul suggesting? That a lack of mastery over his body and over its impulses might do. It might destroy him spiritually. Friends, the Bible connects what we are doing with our bodies to our spiritual health. Paul says, I keep under my body. The ideas of giving it a black and blue beating. That's literally the picture underlying the Greek that he uses. Now, how then might our physical fitness, our physical exercise be a pursuit toward godliness? Because it is recognizing that these things are connected. Friends, what if the same fleshly temptation that keeps me from waking up with my alarm clock to make sure that I have enough time to read God's word in the morning is the same thing that keeps me from going on a run and keeping under my body. What if they're related? What if the temptation to go and be a glutton, to give myself to food maybe at all hours of the night or into portions that are clearly not healthy for me and for the body that God has given me are connected to another kind of temptation that allows me simply to exercise for five or ten minutes and then just give up. I'm simply too tired. What I'm suggesting is that there are fleshly temptations that hinder us in the form of keeping under our body physically that may also be manifesting themselves in other things that are hindering us from godliness. And it may well be that God is calling us and encouraging us to bring under our body in the areas of laziness, which we know is a a biblical sin, of gluttony, of the use of food in ways that are wrongful and that are self-focused, not God-focused. And in other examples, even perhaps a lack of physical fitness that reflect an ungodly character that needs to be brought into conformity to Christ. What I'm suggesting is that you and I approach our physical fitness, our eating, and our, indeed, all of our habits of life, including sleeping, with the recognition that I am seeking all of my life to be in pursuit of godliness and attack the areas of poor biblical character that are holding me back from that pursuit. And that leads me just to a couple of practical questions for us. What if my pursuit of physical fitness was not a question of how many pounds I lost on the scale? What if my pursuit of physical fitness was not how good I looked in the mirror after it? What if my pursuit of physical fitness was not how others looked at me and my capabilities? What if my pursuit of physical fitness was instead an act of worship to God where I said, God, I'm grateful that you have given me this outlet that I can find joy and I can find the liberty of a clear mind in what you've given me to do in my other tasks. That would look a lot more like worship, wouldn't it? What if our what if about if our physical fitness, was less about those other things I I mentioned and more about identifying areas of weakness in my life and of fleshly temptation and seeking to bring them under the control of Christ and bring my body in subjection to my mind and spirit. What if when I went out for a run, my physical fitness was not simply trying to push on so I looked better, but to say there's something here about my character that needs to be changed, and I'm going to bring my body into subjection under me.
I will not, by God's grace, let it master me. Now, friends, that might be a challenge because so often at times I know from even my own life, physical fitness tends to be a results business. But what about if it were truly a character business, a worship business, in which I seek to glorify God in the body that he has given me, a body that is for him and he for my body. Not as an instrument to my own fleshly vanity or pride, not in in a kind of unhealthy obsession with any of these things, but rather, indeed, as an area that God has made for my joy to support and encourage my godliness and ultimately to give back to him as an act of worship. Friends, the next time you pass one of those advertisements, one of those motivations that are being put in front of you to look like this, to be strong like this, to encourage like this, remember that there is some temporary profit in that. But remember ultimately that all of your life is to be a pursuit of godliness. And may in our care for our physical bodies, our stewardship of those bodies, and our mastery by God's grace of those bodies, ultimately we are gymnasticizing ourselves toward godliness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the teaching that it has for us. And we need to be God-centered in this area. And I pray, Father, that your people would see all of life as an act of worship toward you. That, Father, we would, like Paul, be motivated to bring our bodies in subjection under us with its fleshly drives that can so hinder our spiritual life and our pursuit of godliness. I pray, Father, that your people would think biblically about this issue, that we would not be conformed to the way the world thinks, that we would also not be conformed to our own fleshly desires, our own tendency toward laziness and sluggishness, but instead we would have a real priority and a focus on a worship of you. Let's pause now. However, God is speaking to you tonight about your relationship to physical fitness, whether that's one who needs to think about caring for your body because it's God's body in a greater way than you have before, or maybe there's been some unbiblical thinking, an ungodly thinking that has motivated your care for your body. Let's ask for that worshipful heart that truly is God-focused and prioritizing him above all. Father, we so need your help in not being conformed and pressured to be exactly in the world's mold. I pray that our minds would be shaped by your word and encouraged by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead to our time of communion together in 1 Corinthians chapter.